If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. We start into a new book, but the same series here, the Kings series, and it's basically a continuation. We wrapped up last week with 2 Samuel 24 and the census that David took, and then we now get into another portion here where we see David passing the baton, so to speak. David's getting older, and we established in Sunday school class when the Bible says old, David was 70. So I'm sorry if that offends anyone when the Bible says that 70 is old, but David's getting old, he's close to the end of his life, and he is failing, and there's this odd thing that takes place where they choose a woman, a young woman, to basically come in and snuggle with David to keep him warm. And that just seems so twisted and weird, but actually you go back in history, there's historians that would say this was a common medical practice for those when they were dying is to have somebody that would come in to keep their body warm while they were basically wasting uh, to the end. And so we see this individual by the name of Abishag come and become someone that would cuddle King David to keep him warm. That seems odd to us, but understanding the culture at that time, that was a common practice. Okay? So before we read into this, I'm going to ask that we just take a moment to pray. This is God's Word, and He speaks to us through His Word, so let's invite Him into this time together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. You speak into our hearts, You speak into our lives, and we're grateful for that. And Lord, we just ask that this time that we're spending right now to focus in on what it is that you want to say into our lives, we just ask for your blessing and your anointing. And we just thank you for these accounts that have been given to us that we can learn from, we can grow from. We ask for your grace over this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground today, but there's quite a thing going on here that I think is important for us to catch. The first section here is going to focus in on a rebellion. King David had a son. His son was Adonijah. And you see what's taking place here. Verse 1, it says, Now David was very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my Lord, and she will lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. And the girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. Now, meanwhile, while all this is going on, his son Adonijah begins to take some matters into his own hands. About that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting. He says, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers, and he recruited 50 men to run in front of him. And now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? And Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. Adonijah took Joab, who was David's commander, and Abiathar, who was David's priest. And he took him into his confidence 
and they agreed to help him become king. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rai, and David's personal bodyguard refused to support Adonijah. So Adonijah went to the stone of Zahalath, near the spring of Enrogel, where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves. And he invited all of his brothers, the other sons of King David, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, or Benaiah, or the king's bodyguard, or his brother who? Solomon. Solomon was not invited. Well, then the prophet Nathan goes to Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, and he asks her, Haven't you heard that Haggith's son, Adonijah, has made himself king, and our Lord David doesn't even know about it? If you want to save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, follow my advice. Go at once to King David and say to him, My lord the king, didn't you make a vow and say to me, Your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. Then why has Adonijah become the king? And then Nathan says, And while you're still talking with David, I will come in and confirm everything that you have said. And I want to summarize just a couple of things that are coming is that Bathsheba then goes into David and begins to share what's going on. Okay? She tells David what's happening and says, If you don't do something, Solomon and I are going to be dead. Okay? So in verse 22, while she was still speaking with King David, Nathan the prophet arrived and the king's officials told him, Nathan the prophet is here to see you. And Nathan went in, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground, and Nathan asked, My lord the king, have you decided that Adonijah would be the next king and that he'll sit on your throne? For today he has sacrificed many cattle, fattened calves, and sheep, and he has invited all the king's son to attend the celebration. And he also invited the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. They are feasting and they're drinking with him and they're shouting, Long live King Adonijah. But he did not invite me or Zadok the priest or Benaniah or your servant Solomon. Has my lord the king really done this without letting any of his officials know who should be the next king? You see this dilemma Going on, and we're going to just stop right there to talk about the rebellion that's taking place. And one of the first things I want to point out here is actually in verse 6, where you see this undisciplined individual going through his life without checks and balances. Verse 6 tells us that King David never disciplined Adonijah at any time during this rebellion. And I don't think you have to read between the lines to back up and think, I think David struggled in this area, not with just Adonijah, but with his children in general. David struggled. His firstborn, Amnon, he had quite the rebellion. We talked about him a few weeks ago, and that's quite a messed up story when he decides to rape his stepsister and take things that aren't his own. And then we hear about Absalom, and you know the rebellion that took place there. And now we see Adonijah stepping in. And not just that, but who did Adonijah invite to the party 
the self-crowning, my brothers, and they all show up to this. What is David's relationship like with his children? And I don't think you have to assume too much here to see that David actually lacked a good relationship with his kids. And I've heard this before. It's an equation you'll see here on the screen. But if you as a parent, or you as a voice of authority, if you have rules plus a relationship, you'll get respect. But if you have rules and you don't have a relationship, you'll have rebellion. And I think we're seeing that unfold here. I want to point out a note I read in the Life Application Bible, and that David, he served God well as a king. There was mistakes he made, but we know that he was a great king. We see that in Scripture. But as a parent, David often failed both God and his children. And so the application behind that is don't let your service to God, even in a leadership position, take up so much of your time and energy that you neglect your other God-given responsibilities, you know, like being a good spouse, being a good parent, investing in those relationships. I know I'm called to be a pastor, but my number one call, first is my relationship with Christ, then to my spouse, then to my kids. But when we start to put other things above that, you're going to start to have problems, and there's relationship strain, and the dynamics are very difficult. But out of the relationship we have, if we've established a relationship, it's important to discipline our children carefully while they're young so that they won't grow up into undisciplined adults. If we take the time to invest what's necessary into their lives, even when it's maybe hard or difficult, they grow up to be self-disciplined. And they have that structure in their life. Charles Spurgeon says, begin early to teach, for children begin early to sin. So as parents, as authority, we have to speak into their lives. And I want to share a story with you that I uh, picked up from the last men's conference there at Twin Lakes Bible Camp, but the speaker shared a testimony about his own child. Two or three years old, this little kid thinks it's so cute, so funny. I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. And the parents, oh, that's cute. That's fun. You know? But several years later, he still has this thought. He's taken on this identity. This little young man thinks he's the daddy of the home. And dad asks him to do something, and he rebels and says, no, I'm the daddy. I'm the daddy. He took that identity onto himself, and he calls the shots now. And that's not going to sit well with dad. Dad's like, we got to correct this before this continues to snowball. And so he says, all right, if you want to be dad, let's go outside and let's settle this in a wrestling match. So outside they go, and, and he said, the first one to give up loses. But we'll find out who's dad. And so being a young little boy and this dad being an adult, he wrestles him you know, pins him to the ground. But it wasn't just who pins who, it was who gives up. And this kid is just fighting and fighting to get out from being pinned. And this dad's thinking, I've got to win. Otherwise, this matter will continue. So I'm going to wait this thing out. 
and like five minutes goes by. And he's got him pinned to the ground, but he keeps fighting. Keeps fighting. He's got this spirit in him that I'm the daddy. And meanwhile, his dad's going, look, I'm the dad. I love you, but I am dad. And the kid continues to fight. 30 minutes goes by. This kid is just not giving up. Dad continues to speak to him. I love you, buddy, but I am the dad. An hour goes by. The kid is still fighting. The dad continuing to say, I love you. And he's almost fighting back tears at this moment, like he's proud of his son's fight. But at the same time, you need to understand authority in your life. And in about an hour and a half through this whole ordeal, his son finally gives up. And they're able to have that conversation between father and son and understanding what respect looks like. And if we don't deal with rebellious spirits when they're young and it might seem cute, it'll grow up to be an undisciplined, unruly adult. And you don't have to look very far in our culture to see how that plays itself out. And I'm not sitting here saying, so when you get home, get out with whipping sticks. <laughs> like I said earlier, there's a relationship that's important to have with your kids. And out of that relationship this man had with his son, he's able to speak love over him while at the same time speaking accountability. I love you, but I am the dad, and you will listen to authority in this home. And the authority that's in our home, it's connected to God's authority. And it will transition into the authority that's in the world around us, how they treat people who are in positions of authority, whether they're teachers or they're uh, policemen or what have you. We can transition that. If we don't respect authority, it goes into all these other areas of our life. So as I'm thinking through this and I'm processing what I was sensing the Lord sharing with me to share with you, one of the questions that I, I wrote down was this. So what happens, or what if you personally have an undisciplined adult in your life? I think that's a fair, that's an honest question. And you could sit there and you could beat yourself up about maybe the ways in which you raised your child. And I'm telling you right now, there is no such thing as a perfect parent, but there is such a thing as a praying parent. And so you probably didn't do it perfect. I'm not doing it perfect. And kids aren't perfect. And so that's where we have to understand that there's grace that comes into this. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand this. Ultimately, them and us, we have a Heavenly Father who is perfect. And He disciplines in a perfect way. And when kids leave the home and your voice of influence to some degree is gone, understand that they still have a Heavenly Father who
who speaks into their life. And sometimes that's through circumstances. And undisciplined adults sometimes have to learn a few things through life lessons. I can speak to that from my own experience. And perhaps I'm preaching to people who have been disciplined their whole life. You've never rebelled. Look at all of you look at me and you're like, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> you're lying. You're lying. But by the grace of God, he shapes us, he molds us. The rebellion's taken place and David begins an installation. There's a new king. This king's name is Solomon. In verse 28, King David responds to Bathsheba. She comes back in, stands before the king, and the king repeats his vow. He says, As surely as the Lord lives, who has rescued me from every danger, your son Solomon will be the next king and will sit on my throne this very day, just as I vowed to you before the Lord, the God of Israel. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground before the king and exclaimed, my, may, my, may my Lord, King David, live forever. Hang on to that. We're coming back to it. Then Bathsheba bowed. Okay, King David ordered, called Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. And when they came into the king's presence, the king said to them, Take Solomon and my officials down to the Gihon Spring. And Solomon is to ride on my own mule. And there Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him king over Israel. Blow the ram's horn and shout, Long live King Solomon. They escort him back here and he will sit on my throne and he will succeed me as king for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Well, amen. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, replied, May the Lord, the God of my Lord the King, decree that it happen. And may the Lord be with Solomon as he's been with you, my Lord the King. And may he make Solomon's reign even greater than yours. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the king's bodyguard took Solomon down to the Gihon spring and with Solomon riding on King David's own mule. And there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with oil. Then they sounded the ram's horn and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people followed Solomon into Jerusalem playing flutes and shouting for joy. The celebration was so joyous and noisy that the earth shook with the sound. And meanwhile, Adonijah's having that banquet and that celebration and this rebellion, and Adonijah and his people, they hear this celebration that's going on. And a messenger comes in to share the news of what is going on. Panic ensues. These people start fleeing the party, and Adonijah's like, oh man, my life is now on the line. So he goes to the altar, and he clings to the horns of the altar for mercy. And David spares his life for now, if you follow our reading, you'll see later that Adonijah loses his life. But now Solomon is king. That is established, and David has some final words for this new king. In 1 Kings 2, 1 through 12, 
It says, as the time of King David's death approaches, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. And you can basically chalk this down into two priorities. There's two priorities he gives him here as he speaks over him. And that first priority he gives to Solomon is, Solomon, I want you to be a man of God. That's the number one priority. Be a man of God. And the second thing is, there's some matters in the kingdom that you're going to need to take care of. And so I want you to take care of these matters as well. Secure the kingdom. But number one, be a man of God. Number two, secure the kingdom. Verse 10 says that David then dies and he's buried in the city of David. And in verse 12 it says, Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. Never forget who establishes you in your life. Several times in our series we've emphasized that God was the one who established David as king. God was the one. And in 2 Samuel 23, if you back up to last week's, last week's reading, these were the last words of David. He says, The God of Israel has spoken, the rock of Israel said to me. And in verse 5 he says, Is it not my family that God has chosen? And he says, Yet he has made an everlasting covenant with me, and his agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail, and God will ensure my safety and my success. So, Solomon, be a man of God and secure the kingdom, but if you don't get number one right, it doesn't matter what you try to do with number two. You got to make God a priority. And our memory verse this week from Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. We want to be people in which God is our first priority. And if you read the very next verse in verse 3, it says, That person that I just described, that person, is like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. If you put God first above all else, God will help you to succeed. Jeannie, I didn't know what your message was on today. But you talk about committing your life and your activities, committing your plans to the Lord, and they'll succeed. Right there, that verse that you see on the screen. God is saying, make me a priority, and I will guide you in life. You will succeed. But you have to put your faith in that. Right? Do I know better than God, or does he know better than me? I mean, you have to evaluate that along the way. Are my decisions better than his decisions? Is my way higher than his way? The answer to that is no. We need to seek him. You know, David had to learn through some painful experiences and even discipline that true success and God's blessing depends on on being faithful in your pursuit of God 
his word, and his plans. Was David perfect? No, he was not perfect. But on the whole, David was an individual that wanted to pursue God. And even as he made mistakes along the way, and some of them blow our mind, you know, the affair we talked about, right? His struggle here I, today I mention as a parent. But even in the midst of all of that, that's the beauty of God's grace. He goes, I've established you. I will guide you. I will help you. Pursue me. Pursue my ways. And I will help you succeed. A note I made in our preview email on Friday was that, did anybody happen to catch a Palm Sunday moment in our story this week? Anybody catch any Palm Sunday stuff? I realize we're talking about David and we're talking about uh, Solomon. Did anybody catch Palm Sunday in this? Riding on David's mule. The installation of Solomon as king. And right before that, there's that conversation where it says, may David live forever. Now, David physically is not going to live forever in that sense, but that his reign would live forever. Can you see the gospel even in the midst of this particular story? We have a king who rolled into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we'll talk about that on Palm Sunday. But there's a prophetic nature to that. It wasn't a war horse. And I'm riding in and we're going to start taking names and kicking Rome out. And we're going to establish our rule. And God's saying, no, my kingdom, it starts in your heart. There's a difference there. But to have a king allow his son to ride on this donkey in the installation, and God sends his son, and in he comes, riding on a donkey. And you know the story. Jesus, he suffers, he dies on a cross, but three days later, he lives. Long live the king. Earthly kings, earthly people, they might have their moments along the way, but there is one king who lives forever. And that is Jesus Christ, who is in the line of David. So that moment is also prophetic when Bathsheba says, May my Lord live forever. That's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who came to this earth, to suffer and die for each and every one of us. A king suffered for you. In a lot of kingdoms, the people suffer on behalf of the king. But in God's economy, the king suffered for you. And that's to give people life. Because he lives forever, you can live as well. So how do you be a part of God's kingdom? I said earlier, it starts in your heart. 
there's coming a day when Jesus will return and he will literally set up his kingdom here on this earth. Boy, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know about you guys. Maybe you like what's going on in the world around us. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. But I'm telling you right now, this is how his kingdom works. If you do not have his kingdom in your heart right now, you will not be able to be a part of his kingdom when he sets it up here on this earth. Is the eternal king a part of your life? And if you can't answer that question with a yes, then I'm telling you today, you need to enter into his kingdom. And the way to do that is to recognize the fact that we are all sinners, which means you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, everybody in this room is a sinner, but we have to settle that issue by putting our faith and trust in the one who paid the penalty and the price for our sin. And that is Jesus Christ, the King. Have you come to him with your sin? Have you put your faith and trust in him to be your Savior and to be your King? Another thing to reflect on here as we close is just to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Is there an area in my parenting that you want to work on? Or Lord, you know the situation with my grown child. I need your help. Or maybe you can think through, you know, I, I've prioritized some things over what God really wants me to have as a priority. So Lord, help me to refocus and make my relationship with you a priority make my relationship to my spouse a priority and my kids a priority. But to refocus, Lord, what really matters? What do I elevate over those things that you've called me to? Just asking, Lord, to guide us and lead us as we reflect together. Would you pray with me as we close? And as I'm praying, I invite the worship team to come forward to prepare for our response. Lord, I'm just asking right now that you would search our hearts. You are the king that lives forever. And on this earth, people may chant, long live the king of these earthly kings that are imperfect, unfaithful, Lord, you are faithful and you rule with justice and mercy. And right now you're extending your mercy to individuals. And some of them might not even be in your kingdom yet. And if I'm speaking to that individual right now, I encourage you to lean into the king. He suffered and he died for you to set you free from sin. Have you responded to that? Have you given your life to the king? And if you desire to do that right now and make him the number one priority in your life,
then pray with me. In your heart, just say, Jesus, it's time. I need to make you number one. Please forgive me of my sin. You paid the penalty and the price for my sin so that I could be set free and placed into your kingdom. Today I receive that gift by grace through faith. I am now a part of the kingdom of God. And Lord, for all of us as we reflect on these things today, the word that comes to mind is priorities. Help us to keep things in the order in which you desire. Give us the grace to navigate the concerns of life. We're so thankful that we have a king who's perfect and is so involved in each of our lives, each of our situations. What kind of king has time for that? But you do, because you love us. Lord, help us. Help us as we walk out this kingdom journey. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.